Shared parenting does make it easy. I'm your host, Chris Batchelor, and this is the Parent Time Podcast. Parent Time Podcast is presented by National Parents Organization, a national nonprofit who is working hard to bring shared parenting nationwide. Hi, Roy and Chris here from National Parents Organization, and today I have Dr. Daniel Fernandez Krantz. Uh, he's out of Madrid, Spain, and he is the winner of the uh, Ned Holstein Research Award this year. And uh, he did research along with Dr. Natalia uh, Nolenberger Castro, and uh, we wanted to talk with him today a little bit about his research and about winning that Share Parenting Award. Uh, so, uh, with that, uh, Dr. Krantz, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, my pleasure. And so, uh, Dr. Krantz, tell us, uh, you know, a little bit about your background. Uh, how did you uh, get into researching uh, families and shared parenting? Sure. So, as you said, my name is Daniel Fernandez-Krantz. Um, for my background, I'm an associate professor of economics and vice dean for economics at IE University in Madrid, Spain. Uh, many of the listeners probably don't know IE University. It's a very, it's a, it's a new, uh, very international and dynamic uh, university in Madrid, so I invite uh, listeners to, to visit to learn more about it. But anyways, I'm an economist. I did my PhD in economics at the University of Chicago, and I got interested in, in doing research in applied microeconomic topics. And more precisely, uh, I've been doing research in topics such as understanding the, the causes and the consequences of gender differences in the labor market and how family formation and the dissolution of families also affects labor market decisions, but also the well-being of you know, household members, including children. So I'm, I'm doing research in what we call in economics, the areas of gender economics and family economics. Well, that's fantastic. And uh, how long have you been doing this research? So I've been doing this research pretty much since I you know, finished my PhD. Uh, I first worked a few years in economic consulting, but after that, and then when I rejoined academia, in 2005, then I, I started to do to do this research. So, you know, it's almost almost 20 years, right? Yeah, that, that's a long time doing research. And what sort of topics have you done in the past? Uh, what what uh, range of topics have you covered? Right. So, apart from the analysis of divorce law, um, that I'm going to talk uh, a bit more uh, later, if you want. In the past, I've been mainly interested in what we call, as I said before, gender economics and that is understanding the causes and the consequences of the differences in earnings and other labor market outcomes between men and women. And um, I study these issues from various perspectives. For example, how children and motherhood affect this, this gender gap in employment and wages, which we call the child penalty. Also, uh, how work and family balance policies um, affect these, these, gender, uh, these gender gaps or the effect of dual labor markets on these gender differences between men and women. Um, by dual labor markets, I mean a characteristic of Spain and other uh, European countries' labor markets in which more or less two-thirds of employees are employed in, in stable and what we call permanent contracts, whereas one-third of employees, mainly young people and also women, tend to churn across very unstable temporary labor contracts. Um, so in general, I've been doing research mainly in the areas of uh, family economics and gender economics and the implications for you know labor market outcomes and other and other uh, welfare indicators. Fantastic. And, and what got you interested in doing um, you know gender economics research in the first place? Well, this was a topic that was um, so one one of my advisors in um, 
uh, the University of Chicago, uh, Kevin Murphy was doing. It was very well known in doing research uh, on on um, on um, wage differences and wage inequality across different groups um, in the United States, uh, across racial groups, but across gender groups as well. One of my other advisors, Robert Topel, was doing research in similar areas. So I got interested in these type of topics from when I was doing my um, my PhD at the University of Chicago. And I also like to work with data. And, and that was a very interesting area to do research on that at that time was a hot area, hot topic still is nowadays, and in which you know uh, applied research and playing with the data, it's kind of the natural way to do research in this, uh, in this area. And it's, it's also an area in which, I mean, you find very important, uh, it's, a, it's a crossroad between very important topics. So, so on the one hand, there is you know, wage inequality, income inequality. On the other hand, it's, it's how family formation, how family dissolution, uh, dependence of children, et cetera, and different types of laws interact between uh, these and the labor markets to determine uh, things such as the level of inequality, uh, Etc. Etc. So I think this is a quite you know interesting area of, of research overall. Well, fantastic, and I want to uh, bring up now the uh, the web page here for the National Parents Organization uh, just to introduce the uh, NPO Ned Holstein Shared Parenting Research Award and uh, talk a little bit about it because you were the recipient this year of it um, along with uh, Dr. Natalia Castro. And uh, so tell us a little bit, what was the research that won this award this year? And uh, you know, how, how did you get started with that research and what did you find out? Well, in, I mean, that research, the, the shared parenting, the research on shared parenting, we started doing research on this topic uh, about five years ago. We have a total of three papers actually on, on this topic. And this is one of the areas within this broader area of you know, inequality, gender economics, uh, welfare economics, et cetera, in, in which you find uh, these very important, sometimes controversial social issues, which I think make research uh, very interesting. And this is definitely the case for you know, the analysis of shared parenting. And, and what we got interested in shared parenting, I think it was a combination of two factors. Uh, um, on the one hand, some Spanish regions uh, at that time in the early 2000s, 2005, 6, 7, et cetera, had just passed some legal reforms in favor of joint custody that were quite ambitious and that meant a quite radical break with respect to the previous regime in which the vast majority of cases, the custody of children after divorce was granted exclusively to the mother uh, without the father having the possibility to appeal this decision. Um, so the reforms of these of these reasons were reasons were based on the principle that the interest of the minor was preserved by granting custody of the children jointly to both parents, as long as there was no significant evidence against these decisions, such as, for example, uh, clear evidence that one of the parents had neglected the child during marriage or cases of gender violence. Right. So before these reforms, I would say in Spain there was a sense of injustice but also some controversy and anxiety about the consequences of these reforms on the welfare of children. So at that time, this was a very interesting and hot area of research. Um, so on the other hand, child custody law in general was, and I, and I think still is uh, understudied in the field of family economics. So with only a few studies that uh, in the field of economics at least had focused on the joint legal custody reforms that were passed in the United States during the 70s, the 80s and the 90s, but those laws put the emphasis more on the joint legal custody of children and not necessarily on the joint physical custody or the time that children spend with 
with each of the parents, which was one of the central elements of the of the Spanish reform. So the Spanish reforms made it very clear that when joint custody was awarded to children, children would spend, uh, sorry, to, to divorced parents, children would spend more or less 50% of the time physically with each of the parents. So Spain, the Spanish case offered a nice, what we call natural experiment, where to study the effects of shared parenting due to legal reforms, maybe for the first time. Well, that's a, yeah, that's a really good A to B test case. And what did the research show? Um, so in these researches, I was saying before, right, we investigate the effect of these reforms. So, so what we do is in the first part, we, we look at the effect of these reforms on, on divorce. Um, and if you think about it from a purely theoretical point of view, the effect is kind of ambiguous. Um, assuming that both parents enjoy and want to have the custody of children, what these laws do, um, to put it simply, is to increase the cost of divorce for the mother, but decrease the cost of divorce for the father. So you have kind of these opposed effects on the probability of divorce coming from both sides. So a priori, you wouldn't expect to find a very strong effect on the probability of divorce. And, and in fact, this is what we you know, find in the first part of our analysis, right? So we, we statistically investigate the effect of these reforms on the probability of divorce, and we don't find any significant effect. What, what we do find is that these laws decrease the percentage of contentious divorces and white initiated divorces. And we interpret these in the context of the theories of bargaining power within marriage. Um, more precisely, these shared parenting laws decreasing the relative power of the mother in a process of separation of divorce, um, which we find consistent with these theories, right? So, so the first part of the analysis, it's kind of a validation test. And that's, that's a very frequent practice in this type of research in which first you you try to see whether your data tells you what you would expect to find in, in, a, in a particular set of outcomes, right? So once you find that, then you move to the second part, and the results of this second part maybe are a bit more credible because you pass this validation test. So in the second part, um, what we study is the effect of these laws on the welfare of, of children, of divorced parents. And, and um, um, we use a different data set, uh, which is a survey on about 180,000 teenagers in Spain about their habits during uh, leisure time and also related to the consumption of alcohol, drugs, etc. but also some questions about the relationship between these teenagers and, and their parents. And, and what we find is that these shared parenting laws decrease the risky behavior of, of, of teenagers and also improve the relationship between these teenagers and the father, especially in the case of boys. So. In general, what we find is quite positive effects of these laws on the welfare of teenagers measured by by these indicators. Yeah, and that uh, that data is very consistent with other studies that I've seen, you know, here in the United States. I want to go back to your your first point about the uh, the rate of um, you know who initiates the divorce, and I find that curious because I've I found other data that shows that when uh, couples are not married, they they who initiates the separation is roughly you know fifty fifty. Uh, but when they're married, it's it's usually around 70% of the time that the woman would initiate a divorce. Um, so it's interesting to show that the data uh, sort of levels that out a little bit. Um, I think that's a really, really interesting point here. Right. And this is this is consistent with what you would expect from theory, right? In these theories of bargaining power within marriage, in which you know, these laws kind of balance that out a bit better than in the than, than before the reforms, right? And so and and these changes in the probability of wife-initiated divorces, the reduction of it actually is consistent with, with, with that, yes. 
And, and I think it's also interesting, uh, the data around, uh, you know, teenager risky behavior and, and you know, uh, vital statistics with teenagers. Uh, that, that's also consistent with other studies that I've seen. And it's really interesting to see how the economics of this sort of plays into the behavior. To me, that's one of the really fascinating things um, that about economics is that I think we often forget that it does drive behavior and these policies uh, do influence how people, you know, act ultimately. Right. So, and in a sense, what we're doing in this research is not very different from what, you know, research in other fields in uh, psychology, for example, um, have attempted, right? We, but we use maybe slightly different um, methodologies. And so in, in, in economics, and, and, and this is about, you know, some of the, of the challenges in the data and how to study this issue, right? So one of the challenges is that when you, when you approach this research, right, one, one of the questions that comes out is that, you know, um, people that request joint custody or when joint custody is granted to, you know, a set of parents and their children, maybe these parents and these children are not necessarily representative of the overall population. So maybe the effects that you find for this particular group of, of individuals is not representative of the entire population, right? And, and, and so we try to overcome these, these, these issues by, by um, studying or setting up what we call a natural experiment. Um, and this is, this has to do with sort of the identification strategies that we follow um, in economics in some of the policy evaluation uh, literature. So, so the way we do it here is in this case, as in, in many other cases in which you study a given policy, <clears throat> what you find is that for a variety of reasons, that shock, that law, or that public policy that you are evaluating has not been implemented homogeneously across groups in society or time periods or regions uh, or a combination of all these. And that gives you kind of an interesting variation across these different geographies, time periods or groups in the population that you could exploit to then try to you know, find more causal effects of these laws on the welfare of these individuals. And that's what we do exactly in this paper, right? So, so these reforms were passed in some Spanish regions, but not in others. And in the paper, we show that there's no clear reason as to why these reforms uh, should have been passed in those regions, but not in the others. So it's kind of, you know, random uh, or exogenous to some extent. And and these reforms were passed in different years across these, these different regions. So we, ex we exploit this regional difference as well as the time difference to get into, you know, these more causal effects of, of, the, of the law. So what we find is that, you know, teenagers in those regions uh, that passed the laws during the years where after the laws were passed, experience these decreases in risky behavior compared to similar teenagers in regions that did not pass the laws during the years, either without reforms or before the before the reform. So this is this is kind of the strategy that empirically we use in this paper to assess these effects. Well, that's fantastic. You usually don't, uh, when you're doing social, uh, you know, social research, it's really hard to find good comparison cases. And it seems like you've certainly found a, a, about as best a comparison case as you can with this. Um, I wanted to ask, did your research get into the, um, you know, the economic resources that are available to the children, uh, you know, sort of bit both before shared parenting and after shared parenting, um, you know, financially, are the children better off with shared parenting? In this paper, we don't study this question, for example, child support. I know there is some literature actually that studies this and that finds that, uh, if I recall correctly, that the amount of child support tends to increase when uh, joint custody gets awarded so that the, that the father feels more attached to 
to to that to that child, and that increases the probability of fulfilling you know the mandate of a given amount of child support. I think that's that's one of the results of the of the previous literature. Um, we have different we have a different paper in which we actually study the the opposite, the effect of changes in the child support amount because of joint custody on the on the welfare of, of children. And that's that's a that's another published paper that we have in this in this in this topic with different results of the ones that I'm that I'm discussing here. So in, in the research that you've been doing here, um, you know, in the research that you've been doing, were there any surprises that you came across in the data? Well, I, I would say that when we started this research, maybe one of the surprises that we, you know, that we saw in the data, and, and that's more on the descriptive, you know, uh, level, uh, is how important, how impactful these reforms were on the incidence of joint custody, right? So to just to give you an idea, for these Spanish regions that passed the reforms, before the reforms, the incidence of joint custody was less than 9% uh, of all divorces. After the reforms in just five years, that incidence had increased to 40% or more. Um, so this, this huge change in the incidence of joint custody, uh, to us, it means that there was a huge uh, unsatisfied social demand for you know, this type of custody that, that these little changes make possible uh, and was not possible otherwise without these, without these reforms. That, that probably was one of the first surprises that we encountered in the data, and that you know, made us also aware of the of the relevance, probably, of this of this topic. And is there any uh, research topics that you plan on going into in the future uh, with regard to shared parenting or gender equality? Well, with regard to shared parenting, as I was mentioning before, I have another you know couple of papers. One of them is already is already published, um, uh, and that paper, as I was saying before, studies uh, a different a different area. With, with not so positive, I have to say, not so positive effects uh, in one, on one of the elements of shared parenting on the welfare of children. What we do in that paper is we, we, we study uh, one of the elements of shared parenting in the United States. So that, that, that paper focuses on the United States. And, and if you look at the way that uh, child support is determined in the United States, each, each state has a different set of Either sometimes it's guidelines, sometimes it's a specific equation to calculate this child support. Now it happens that in some states, um, under a joint custody uh, <clears throat> regime, the amount of child support decreases almost to zero. Whereas in other states, the child support under joint custody it's it's pretty much the same as if custody was awarded solely to the mother. Uh, and then you have a bunch of states that lie in between these two extremes. So in a sense. What you have in the United States is a different, you know, magnitude or set of what we call economic incentives for joint custody. Because in some states, you know, once uh, a parent gets awarded joint custody, the child support gets significantly reduced. Whether in other states that doesn't happen, right? So what we do is we study the effect of these economic incentives. We call it this way: to joint custody on the welfare of children, and we find. Um, negative effects uh, on different outcomes from education to health, etc. And um, so one of the interpretations of this of this research, of this result is that, you know, whereas shared parenting and joint custody laws reforms, I think in general are positive and are and are needed. Uh, it's a required, it's a needed change and it's a positive change. We have to be careful also 
as to how we design these policies in order to make sure that we prevent some of the unwanted effects, maybe because, you know, in some cases, these economic incentives are just too large. That might lead to some, you know, unwanted consequences. Maybe some parents requested joint custody just because of the economic savings rather than, you know, uh, uh, a true, you know, interest in the welfare of, in the welfare of children. So that's, that's one paper. In, in another paper that now is under review, in a top field journal in economics, we, we now we go back to Spain to the to the Spanish uh, setup of reforms, uh, setting of reforms, and what we analyze there is the effect of these reforms on intimate partner violence. And what we find is that the passing of these laws reduces significantly the extent of inter intimate uh, partner violence. And and we interpret these results in the context of the male backlash theories of intimate partner violence, in which sometimes. This, this, this intimate partner violence happens when the man feels uh, his position threatened for a variety of reasons um, in different contexts. So, so this is the other, the other um, uh, research paper that I have on this, on this topic. That's fantastic. And I, I'd like to add that I think one issue that we see here in the United States is that when there's a significant uh, financial benefit to having more time with the children, we, we often see that increases the amount of conflict, particularly in the divorce cases, um, which I, I think leads to, you know, inter intimate partner violence in, in some cases. So it, it is interesting, again, how, uh, you know, these policies do drive behavior. And I think uh, when you have legislators that are considering reforms to laws, they need to, to really analyze and consider um, how the existing laws are, are potentially negatively benefiting the population. Right, exactly. But uh, as I was saying before, in our in our research, what we find actually it's it's kind of the opposite, right? In the sense that you know these these shared parenting laws reduce at least one of the reasons or one of the models for these intimate parent violence, which you know has to do with this male backlash, you know, uh, uh, type of situations, and and that has to you know to to be you know put in context with these other type of situations in which, as you said. Sometimes that creates conflicts between uh, two parents of, you know, uh, you know, getting into an agreement about different types of decisions uh, that, that affect the welfare, of, the welfare of children. Yeah, we, we've certainly seen it when there's a lot of child support at stake. It'll cause one party to fight um, probably more than they would otherwise if, if that money wasn't at stake. Um, I, I want to ask you, uh, you know, what do you hope that the future holds for, you know, shared parenting across the world? Is, is this a good thing? Is this something that you hope uh, becomes rather universal? <laughs> well, I, I have to say that from a, you know, a researcher point of view, we are, you know, we, we usually have a hard time answering this type of question because we, we tend to take kind of an agnostic view as to, you know, whether one policy is good or not. We, we, we prefer to do research, see what the research, you know, outcomes are, and then, you know, make a, Make a statement based on that. So, but I would say that based on the evidence that I've seen so far, and now I think that this pro, you know, share parenting and joint custody regulations or laws in general are good for for society and for children in particular. So, I hope that in the future these regulations and these and these laws, you know, uh, these reforms continue to happen. But I also think and and related to maybe you know the results of the other study that I was mentioning, I hope that when these reforms get passed and designed, that yeah, the care is is put in, in preventing this, you know, the potential of some of the unwanted consequences because some of the elephant, some of the elements of these of these laws are not, you know, particularly well thought or or fine tuned. So maybe this is important. I I think this is important to 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 take into account as well. But uh, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. At least, uh, you know, my experiences here in the United States, we've seen shared parenting implemented differently across different states. And and now that we have a number of states that have, have you know, passed shared parenting laws and are, are practicing it, we're certainly seeing um, slightly different outcomes based on, you know, the wording in the laws and how the judges are applying it and those sorts of things. So, uh, yeah, it's very, very good to be careful and, and uh, make sure that you use best practices when implementing these things. Exactly, and I think and I think that that works in you know in, in the favor of these same reforms, right? So when when you do, do when you do these reforms in the right way, that also you know raises support you know uh, in society for you know these type of reforms, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think that's an important uh, thing to take into account. Well, fantastic! It's been a pleasure talking with you. Is there any other topics that you want to cover before uh, we let everybody go? Oh, that's that's all from my part as well. And thank you very much for the invitation. It's been my pleasure. Oh, you're very welcome. And uh, where can uh, people f- contact you if they want to? Where can they read your research? So if people are interested in my research, they can find it in the usual outlets. I have, you know, a homepage or a Google Scholar page as well on my, you know, university faculty member page. But also they feel free to email me at daniel.fernandez at ie.edu. That's probably the easiest way to find me and, and contact me. Well, thank you so much for coming on and uh, we look forward to seeing your research in the future. Thank you very much, my pleasure. Now that was recorded on video. So if you wanna go ahead and watch the video, you can find the link in the show notes. It's on YouTube. And if you have any questions, you can contact National Parents Organization at sharedparenting.org. Don't forget to like National Parents Organization on social media. Just go ahead and do a Facebook search for National Parents Organization and smash the like button. You're also going to find several Facebook pages for different state chapters, so go ahead and like those pages as well. And don't forget you can also follow National Parents Organization on Twitter or LinkedIn. The links to those social media sites are on the sharedparenting.org website. If you're passionate about shared parenting, the best thing you can do is get involved. And the best way to do that is by contacting your state chapter. If you head over to the sharedparenting.org website, you can find the links to your state chapter and then contact them directly to take action and volunteer. We could also use your help with donations. National Parents Organization is a nationally recognized nonprofit registered in Massachusetts. To donate, visit sharedparenting.org and click the take action and then donate. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Tell us what you think on social media or by going to the sharedparenting.org website and sending us a message. Fill out that contact form and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear about what you think about the show or what you want to hear on the show, those sorts of things. So go ahead and, and send us a message. Until the next episode, I'm your host, Chris Batchelor. Thanks for listening, and together we can help bring shared parenting nationwide. <laughs>